The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Luke. Jesus said, There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who longed to satisfy his hunger with what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs would come and lick his sores. The poor man died and was carried away by the angels to be with Abraham. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was being tormented, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. He called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in agony in these flames. But Abraham said, Child, remember that during your lifetime you received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner evil things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. <clears throat> Besides all this, between you and us a great chasm has been fixed, so that those who might want to pass from here to you cannot do so, and no one can cross from there to us. He said, Then, Father, I beg you to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, that he may warn them, so that they will not also come into this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. They should listen to them. He said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. The Gospel of the Lord. There is nothing probably more terrifying for a parish priest than to have to reflect on this gospel on the eve of a pledge campaign. <laughs> really, Jesus? Really? When I was in high school, a friend of mine and I led a drama troupe Christian drama troupe that was dedicated to uh, sharing skits and stories, really modern-day morality tales. And we did all kinds of wonderful things with lighting and music and preparation and rehearsal. And it was really my first entree into some pretty sophisticated theological conversation with people my own age, and also reflecting deeply on the substance of our tradition. Now, my best friend, as part of the series of skits we did in our performances, had a monologue that he'd been working on. And it was entitled, after today's gospel, A Great Gulf Fix. And it was a rather terrifying piece of work. It was about a dream, or a nightmare, really, where the person giving the monologue talks about dreaming of people rushing over the precipice and wondering what he can do about it. Now, I, being raised as a good Episcopalian, was a little bit uncomfortable with the content. 
of the monologue and was weighing carefully, what can I do about it? Should I say anything? My friend had worked very, very hard to pull this together and listened and garnered a lot of feedback from us about his presentation and all of that. Looking back on it, the difficult thing about the monologue and its theme based on a great goal fixed is it kind of missed the point. I mean, it is indeed true that for us as Anglicans and also Catholics, we don't sit around figuring out who's in and who's out of heaven, not within the walls or outside the walls of the church. That is not our job. That's God's job. But that misses the point, too. The real point is that while that peace was meant to scare people out of their complacency so they would start to proselytize, this gospel is not about proselytizing. And the great goal fixed is not about people who are damned and people who are going to heaven because of what they believe. In truth, it is probably easier for us in this age and in just about any age to worry about the state of somebody else's immortal soul than to talk seriously about money and about economic justice and about the divisions in the world between those who have a great deal and those who have nothing. And that was as true for Amos long before Jesus, as it was in the first century, as it is now. So if that gospel didn't make your hair stand up on end a little bit, take another look, because it ought to. It's meant to. Jesus wants to get our attention, and in his story he turns the whole world upside down. One of the fascinating things he does in this story is, if you notice, the rich man doesn't have a name. Lazarus, the poorest of the poor, does have a name. Now for Jesus' audience and hearers, that would have made no sense. People who had something, who had value in the society, they had names. But somebody who lied at the gate with nothing and an unclean animal like a dog would come and lick his sores, well, not worth a thing. Not even worth a name. Now the fact that the rich man doesn't have a name has bothered not just Jesus' audience, but us down through the ages. So much so, in fact, that the tradition gave the rich man a name. Divis, which literally means rich man in Latin. Because we couldn't stand, couldn't stand the fact that somebody of great wealth and power didn't have a name. You see how we already started to edit Jesus a little bit? Jesus challenges our expectation about the way the world is supposed to work yet again. He challenges us to think and consider how we are often blinded by our own priorities and by our own affluence to the needs of those who are very close to us. He makes a point that Lazarus lied at the gate. It's very clear that Jesus is saying the rich man passed by him probably every day, going in and out of his house. Didn't see him. 
paid no attention to. It's a terrifying lesson. Likewise are the words of Amos, the grumpiest of grumpy prophets. Uh Amos was an agricultural guy, a dresser of sycamore trees, a fig farmer, if you will, who comes out of nowhere and starts to challenge Israel in a very prosperous time because some people are being neglected and corruption is rampant. Amos is talking directly to the tendency in the human family to create division whenever there is a concentration of wealth. And that is as true then as it is, of course, today. With all of the bad political theater going in Washington these days, I start to wonder if there isn't a smokescreen going up because it's very hard for our leaders to talk about what's really going on. And of course one of the things that has been going on, any economist will tell you, and anybody actually working in the financial sector who is paying attention, is that the division between the haves and the have-nots is widening. And the massive concentration of wealth in this country is only concentrating more. The truth of the matter is, of course, is most of us live better than 95% of the world's population, all of them beloved by God. So Jesus asks us today, what are you going to do about it? The challenge of the great goal fixed is to remind us that it is daylight now and we have opportunity to act. The good news is we as a parish have already started to take action. And we are habituated by these teachings and by our readings to take action whenever and wherever we can. Last week Annette talked beautifully about what it means to give to people in need out of the parish discretionary fund. But the truth of the matter is I get many more requests than we can offer assistance for and the number of requests is increasing as time goes by. What is really happening? No one seems in power to see that. That means we as a Christian community are in a unique place. And perhaps our calling in part is to try to bridge that chasm. Because what Jesus is really saying is that there is a gulf between the haves and the have-nots, between those who are invisible and those who have power and influence. And the reason he wants to shock us is to shock us out of our complacency so that perhaps, perhaps there is hope while it is still day for us to begin to bridge those gaps, for us to throw bridges across the great goal. I finally got up the courage to challenge my friend about the dreadful monologue. It appealed to his good Lutheran side. And he agreed. We pulled it. 
And we put in place something else that was about relationships. Because at the end of the day, that's what today's gospel is all about. It's just as Annette told us last week, the wealth is really not the issue per se. It's what we do with it that matters. Whether it is currency for our own self-advancement or currency for building human relationship, that is the question that matters. How are we going to use what we have been given and what we have to bring about the kingdom of God, to bridge the chasms between us, to help restore the human family to wholeness? This has been a sermon podcast from the Episcopal Church of Our Savior, Mill Valley, California. We are a growing, welcoming community for those seeking to deepen their relationship with God and to journey in faith with God's people through the breaking of bread and in service to others in Christ's name. You can reach us by phone at 415-388-1907 or visit us online at OurSaviorNV.org. That's O-U-R-S-A-V-I-O-U-R-M-V for Mill Valley, dot O-R-G. We wish you God's peace, and we hope to greet you in person very soon.